Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. If the audio quality sounds a little more shitty than it has in, in recent uh, times, it's because I'm back on with Danny Sennard, so we're back on Skype. Um, you'll have to, yeah, you, you'll deal with the audio quality. We're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. But Dan, it's been a while since we did this. Uh, how's everything going in your neck of the woods? It's good. I mean, I, I wish I had like a whole list of things to tell you that I've been doing this last month, but it's probably just like everyone else been the boringest month of maybe my entire life. Uh, the fact that we have no sports to watch or, I mean, I, we are rewatching old games. So I guess that's, you know, a little bit of nostalgia and, and fun, but it's just, it's been brutal. So, uh, we're surviving. Um, but yeah, I, I, I miss, I miss the everyday grind of what we call life. You and I kind of talked about this before. We're sort of in the same boat where like our wives work in, first of all, our wives are just more important and, and generally more cool than we are, yes. but they work in the medical field. Like their jobs are way more important than ours right now. So we get kind of stuck during the day just being dad and not having all that much time for work. It's tough enough for me with just the, the one baby and watching her and only getting stuff done in those like 45 to hour periods where she's napping. But for you, I mean, you've got two kids that are, they are like no, like they're kids. Like they, 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 they're able to run around. They can talk. They, they wrestle. And your wife is very pregnant now. At this point, you guys have number three coming next month. I mean, how is, how in the world are you dealing with that? Is my question. It's a madhouse. I mean, you know Kim and I. I, I would say. I mean, you know me for. You've known me for a while. Um, we're pretty reserved people. We're not really the loudest people that you've ever met. And for some reason, our kids are absolutely the <laughs> loudest two kids in the Dublin zip code in Ohio. Like, we have the loud family. I don't know what the story is. I don't know how it happened. But uh, just constant noise coming out of our house. There's no way our neighbors, like, cannot hear us, even when we have all the doors closed. It's just constant noise. But we are surviving. We're trying to entertain the kids. I, I let my... My five-year-old son, Cam, watched Rookie of the Year on Disney+. Plus. Uh, pretty big moment for him. Uh, pretty big moment for me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we're pulling out all the stops. I mean, we, we, we're trying to be like the parents that, you know, hey, let's not watch, like, too much TV. But at some point, like, I mean, these kids are winning the, the, the battle here. And you just oh, yeah. give them. So, um but yeah, no, it's 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 been uh, it's been fun, but it's been a struggle. Yeah, I'm only able to do this right now and kind of have like the sit down, plan out stuff, and do the podcast with you because Mary's off work today and Monday, so it's it feels like a vacation for me getting to actually do my jobs and, and, and work, which is just it, it. That's a perfect synopsis of why this is all just the fucking worst. But watching the baby for, I mean, basically from like eight to five. It's amazing how quickly I just give up. Like I, I with little baby bum on Netflix. It's the, if you haven't ever heard of this, I pray to God that you don't ever have to hear of it. But it's these like nursery rhyme songs, and they're only I think eight episodes. I've seen every one of those episodes no less than twenty five times. I know every word to every <laughs> song. I know the order they come on. But she goes like comatose when it comes on. So I, if I have to do anything, or if she's just crying and. Uh, there's no other course of action. I just put it on there and it calms her down. And I do, cause you know, they're not supposed to have that much screen time at this young age, but in my mind, like we'll sit down and we'll play with her, her cups or we'll read some books and I'll put on like Mozart on Spotify. And I'll, I'm hoping that like 20 minutes of Mozart counteracts like 75 hours of little baby bum on TV. But if it doesn't, then she's going to be screwed. I, I don't know what else, but you know, in like, um, like bad 90s soap opera sitcoms where you always had the like the stay-at-home mom who was drinking wine at two in the afternoon and just always oh, yeah. and always like I always kind of thought that was over the top I would 100% be that if I had to do this all the time like I would I'd be drinking hard beers quietly at 2 30 in the afternoon on Tuesdays and losing my ass on Gulfstream because if this kept on forever I would just be playing like <laughs> 
like just completely awful pick fours and pick fives on terrible racetracks and losing my ass quietly and trying to hide it from my wife while I just drank constantly. Like I totally understand it now. I, I finally get it because it is just the monotonous day to day. Every day feels the same. And the only thing that's different is, is dinner. And I, I, don't, I don't know how people do this, but uh, thankfully it's not going to be a, a long term deal. But, you know, yeah, it's a long winded way of saying I'm doing OK, Dan. I'm doing yeah. Okay. And I, I mean, the only time. I've really seen any of my friends as me, you, and our buddy Weber FaceTime uh, this weekend just so we could get our, our pick five at, uh, was it Oakland or Oakland or Gulfstream? I can't yeah. remember which one. Yeah, I think it was did. Oakland. Um, so, yeah, and we did get four out of five, so kind of props to us, but um, don't worry. We got the big one coming. Not a big deal. Yeah, we won uh, $62.50 on a $180 ticket, so, you know, yeah. That, yeah. Hey. we're doing pretty well. Yeah. Yep. No problem whatsoever. Baby Speaking steps. of baby steps to the to the big uh, 50k prize. Um, speaking of jobs and stuff, I do want to quickly address what's been going on today. It's been a, another just pretty shitty day overall in the, the Mike Rutherford work world. If you haven't seen the news yet, uh, Vox Media did furlough about 100 employees. And SB Nation, we were the hardest hit. It's it's not quite as bad as we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the week. But for people who have been asking, you know, how does this affect you? How does this affect the website? It's not going to affect Card Chronicle. Card Chronicle is not going to change at all during this period of time. I think there is a little bit of concern about what SBNation.com is going to look like three months from now. But hopefully um, those of us who are, are sticking around and doing some work can keep the site up and going for a while. But it's been a it's been a bad day. There's no way around it. I know a lot of media people and a lot of people in every other field are in the same boat. So uh, everybody just keep their heads down. And, and thoughts are certainly with uh, everybody who's dealing with employment issues and employment stress. And it's just like there's there's no way around it. I, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to be the guy who says it. This is all just the fucking worst. I, I'm over the I'm over the coronavirus. I'm over everything that's going on. There's nothing yeah, good happening 20, right 2020 now. 2020 in general oh, has just terrible. been absolutely brutal. And I mean, we're we're midway through the fourth month here, and you're just you're you're waiting for that flicker of light to where you can see it and say, okay, are we are we almost out of the tunnel here? And hopefully, summer, warmer weather, things start to turn around, and we can, you know try to get back to some normalcy whether you know hopefully people start maybe getting their jobs back hopefully maybe there's sports even if it's without fans but we just we we, we need some normalcy here in life or people are just going to go insane i kind of pride myself on like making the best of bad situations i feel like when shitty things happen i'm pretty good at making jokes about it and laughing because you know what else are you going to do you can either laugh or cry i usually choose to laugh and so you know i lose the radio job in january I'm like, yeah, you know, I, the whole Jeffersonville Hooters thing was funny. It's going to be okay long term. It kind of sucks now. Like three months later, like everything that you love is being ripped away from you. I'm like, what? I had a, like a breakdown on Wednesday night when I'm trying to scramble to get our furnace fixed on April fucking 15th <laughs> so that my daughter doesn't have to sleep in the ice cold. And I've been working on it for two hours with no progress. I was like, I'm going to take up hard drugs. Like, I, I don't like, I. You took away my NCAA tournament. My other jobs are now in flux. Like, I'm watching the baby constantly. It's just everything has been so, so bad. But what are you going to do? Um, yeah. I, I guess you got to say it could be worse. Oh, uh, a couple days ago, I'm on a run just in my neighborhood at four in the afternoon. It starts fucking snowing mid-April. It starts fucking <laughs> snowing here in Ohio. I was like, get me out of this hellhole. God, I can't take this anymore. It's just God. been so bad. Um, but we'll move on um we'll talk about some local sports stuff going on and once again really the only major news that's happening is is really involving the men's basketball program football i know that there's some recruiting stuff going on but really there hasn't been a whole lot to talk about women's basketball you got the WNBA draft tonight uh, we're recording this on friday afternoon um not much i, I don't think kylie shook or, or jasmine jones are going to be first round picks if they get picked at all it's probably going to be um later than that but that's really the only thing going on on that side of things and then baseball in a total state of flux with the the scholarship situation guys coming back are they going to leave for the mlb draft what do you do with the seniors who now have a, another year of eligibility but most of the news the, the big news has been with chris Mack's team and since the last pod that I did last week, we have a, a new player on the team. We also, I mean, in keeping with my theme of having the worst fucking timing in the entire world, five minutes after I publish a podcast where I spend 
I don't know, probably 10 minutes talking about Jay Scrub and the potential of him actually playing for Louisville and me hearing that the staff still thought it was more likely than not that he was going to play for UofL. We get the definitive word that he's definitely staying in the draft. Uh, his dad comes out and tells everybody now he's going to be a pro. So that just completely invalidated like 25% of the last podcast. But we do now know Jay Scrub not going to be a Cardinal. Charles Midlin from San Francisco is going to be a Cardinal. I haven't talked with you at all since we sort of have this definitive no Jay Scrub, but we've added Carly Jones and Charles Midland. I guess just general question here to get started how does this change the way that you feel about the 2020-21 season? Do you feel better uh, with these two grad transfers and no scrub? Or did you feel better before when we thought that Jay was going to come here and spend at least one season at UofL? Yeah, I don't think it's a secret that everyone, I think, would prefer Jay Scrub to be in a Cardinal uniform. And the fact that before he made this jump to the NBA draft, he gave a couple interviews that almost tease cards fans to thinking that he was coming that that's what I I had kind of I mean I know you had kind of been in the boat the whole time that he was going to go pro and just by reading all the mock drafts especially like some of the the ones that you know are, are by NBA guys that are kind of in the know um like Sam I think Sam Benice is how you pronounce his last name I know he has not even close he does a, god damn it Sam Benice <laughs> Oh God. Anyways, I know. I mean, I, here's the deal. I know that his, he's got like kind of a, a foot in the door when it comes to NBA draft scouting. So I, I kind of, he's, he's one of the big ones that I read and I know Jay scrub wasn't listed on his mock draft. So, I mean, it kind of gave me hope that he was going to come. Um, but again, it's obviously this kid, knows what he wants. It's, it's his life. Um, he's obviously very confident in his ability. His dad might be even more confident in his ability. Um, personally, I don't, it's, it's not the decision that I would have made, but again, I'm not in his shoes and the reasoning like that they said like, Oh, well he just won junior college player of the year. Yeah, that's probably not that's probably not the reason you want to make that jump. I don't really think that's that big of a deal. We haven't seen much success in the past from junior college players making the jump to the NBA. So obviously that did hurt. Um, but the fact that we came back and we already had gotten a commit from uh, from Carlick Jones and then um, to get one from Midland just a, a couple of days later. Um, that, that was a, a really nice pickup by, by Mac and San Francisco. I mean, they're, they're a pretty good program. Um, so it, just watching the guy's tape, I mean, I don't know too much about the guy. It sounds like he's a really interesting kid. Um, but I, he looks the part, he looks like he'll fit in. Um, that remains to be seen, but he, he kind of reminds me of maybe a, a, a poor man's Wayne Blackshear a little bit. Um, but it, it's intriguing, but I, I would rather have Jay Scrub. But, uh, you know, it's nice that we already have kind of two guys on board uh, with Scrub leaving. Yeah, I, I think there's no question. Jay Scrub, if you're looking at those three guys like Carly Jones, Charles Midland and Jay Scrub, and you're saying who's just the most naturally gifted. I don't think there's any question that it, it's Jay Scrub. Having said that, and look, I'm going to preface all of these comments by saying I'm rooting for the kid. Like he, he's from Louisville. He he went to Trinity. You and I both went there. I'm blaming you for him not coming here. Get, get your guy Zabo on the phone. Tell, yeah. Ask him what the hell's going on. I know he's been good to us lately, but uh, get in this kid's ear a little bit. But just watching his – hearing his dad's comments, and I know – I'll say this too. I, I know his dad's listened to the last two podcasts. I don't know if you're listening again, Papa Scrub, but if you are, it's nothing this, – this is nothing personal against your son. I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm not saying that he can't make it. I just I don't understand the decision making process here. It's one thing to bank on yourself. It's another to read the tea leaves and say, one, nobody's done this. Uh, go pro from uh, from junior college straight to the NBA in 16 years. And for Dante Smith, I, I still don't think I think history would say that's probably not the decision he should have wound up uh, making Two. There's no combine. There are no individual workouts that are going to happen with these teams. Like there's, if you believe that you're being slept on because of the lack of competition or because a lot of people in the NBA and, and circles don't really know who you are, you've got no way to, to buck that at this point. And three, look, 
I know that he thinks he's really good. There was the story that Rick Bozich did yesterday um, or Wednesday about uh, Jason Scrub, the dad, saying he thinks Jay's better than Anthony Edwards, who's going to be the number one pick. There's no way for you to prove that. And everybody who's in this situation, guys who aren't getting drafted, everybody's really good. Everybody who has declared is really, really good. They all have tape that's going to impress people. I just don't know if there's a way for you to differentiate yourself enough at this point just on junior college tape or, or what have you to become a first-round pick. And I think if you had come to Louisville for one year, you get that chance. If you light up Duke, you light up North Carolina, you have a big run in the NCAA tournament, that's one way to take yourself from kind of this mystery prospect that maybe somebody takes a flyer on midway through the second round or late in the second round to a guy who's a bona fide top 20 pick. I think that's the smarter route. And I'll say the same thing that I've said in the last two podcasts. I'm 90% of the time a guy who advocates got kids going pro because I, I think that they have, if they've played a one or two seasons in college and they haven't made themselves lottery picks or whatever, they've probably maxed out their potential. There's not that much more you can do in this day and age as a junior or senior in college to go from you know fringe pick at all to lottery pick or, or midway through the first round type pick with Jay Scrub, his situation's unique because he, he's been in junior college for two years. The stats are good. The athleticism is obviously off the charts. Nobody knows how that's going to translate to the NBA and playing against top quality college competition at the division one level would at least give people a better idea of that. Having, uh, having said all that, just when you, when you look at the comments from him and you look at the comments from his dad, like I watched Jay Scrub's Instagram live video and it's easy to pile on now, I guess, but there's some some real red flags. Some of the stuff that he's saying, you're just kind of like, man, like I, I don't know what he's thinking. And then you juxtapose that with the interviews that Charles Minlin has given this past week. And Minlin's a really, really impressive kid who I don't think that there's any question about his work ethic. I don't think there's any question about the the fact that he is he's all in on doing whatever Chris Mack's going to ask him to do. He he played in a program at San Francisco where. Both Kyle Smith and Todd Golden, who took over for Kyle Smith when he left for the Washington State job, like they are really forward-thinking people. It's an analytics-heavy program. They call it nerdball. They only recruit smart kids to play in that program. He knows the game. He's just one of those guys. He's like a Dwayne Sutton who's going to go out there and just do those little things to help you win. And I'm excited about an addition like that. He may, Like you said, he may not be as naturally gifted as Jay Scrub, but he is a fierce competitor. Uh, he's a, a great athlete. And I think there are reasons, and I do want to talk about that a little bit later, why those shooting numbers could improve just a little bit. But just like, when you see Carly Jones and when you see Charles Menland and when you hear their reputations for being just dogs. And I got – some people got a little bit confused when I called Menland. I said, you know, he's a, he's a killer. People were like, well, look at the shooting numbers. Like how can you say that he shoots uh, like more like Quan Four and still say he's a killer? I mean he wants to embarrass dudes. Like he, he wants to attack the rim. He wants to dunk on you. He wants to block your shots. He wants to throw your shot five rows into the crowd. If you watch his highlight tapes, that becomes really apparent. And Carly Jones is kind of the same way, too. He wants the ball in clutch situations. He wants to be the guy who's taking the game winner. He wants to talk a little bit of shit. He wants to get the crowd involved. I like adding two guys with those with that type of persona to you know, a, a group of returnees that, besides Malik Williams, is still pretty young and unproven. Yeah, and when you go back and look at some of Chris Mack's Xavier teams, a lot of the guys that he had kind of brought that attitude yeah. and swag with him. And I feel like that's one thing he hasn't had here at Louisville just yet. Um, not to say that any of the guys we had, you know, were timid by any means. They just never really had that in-your-face, um, you know, kind of hype-up-the-crowd mentality. You know, we had guys like Jordan, who maybe was a little more reserved, and, and Ryan, who was obviously polished, but... Um, you know, maybe not that type of uh, kind of in-your-face mentality. So I am excited to get uh, those two for that. Um, and then going back to to Jones, I think he's going to be a real nice addition for us. I know I didn't get a chance to talk to uh, talk about him um, on your last podcast, but he just kind of has a, a crafty way about him. Um, more since I, I know we like to do player comparisons all the time. I think you threw out a little, he's got a little bit of Christian Cunningham in him. Um, I, 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 I think that's true as well, but I think he's a little more, uh, he's able to get his shot off a little better. I would say he mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of, I would say a poor man's, um, and he's probably a better ball handler, but a poor man's Duran lamb. And the fact that he, he kind of can get his shot all over the court 
Um, doesn't have as quick a release and probably definitely not a good a shooter as Lamb, but kind of the same body build as him um, and kind of the same swaggy attitude on the court. That's kind of who he reminded me of when I watched his highlights, at least. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think he's he's really good. And, and you're right, too. Like with the Chris and Cunningham comparisons, I think that's more for just I, I was kind of trying to draw a comparison between I think both those guys are quote unquote good shooters when they're like when they have space, when they're wide open and they have a chance to kind of compose themselves, take a look at the basket and get the shot off without a hand in their face. But you're right. I think Jones is definitely more shifty. Uh, my only concern again is when you've got a six foot one kid whose main skill set is getting to the basket and finishing, I think you have to worry about how that translates from going to, from the big South level to playing in the ACC. I think that's a little bit of a question mark, but there's no doubt in my mind that he's good. There's no doubt in my mind. He's going to be your starter at the two. And I like his game a lot. I like Charles Midland's game a lot too. Since we did talk about Jones last week, just a little bit more on Midland. And I'll I know I wrote this on card Chronicle, but I actually probably watched five or six full San Francisco games this year just because um, my, my buddy Brandon Graves, who used to work at UofL, now works out there at USF. And Kyle Smith was really good to me um, with a couple of stories we wrote over at SB Nation, one about that nerdball system and one about Frankie Ferrari, who was, I mean, all-time college basketball name, really exciting player. We did a story on him a couple of years ago, um, but they, he was always really, really good to me. So I just kind of, I can be easily bought. And they sent me, you know, they sent like a close for the baby, stuff like that. So I'm a, I'm a Dons fan. I'm all in on the Dons. But I watched him play uh, probably five or six times last year. And maybe I have a heightened view of his game just because every time they played on national TV, he was fantastic. Like he was good in all three games against Gonzaga. He was spectacular in the last two games. He was really good against St. Mary's. He was fantastic in the WCC tournament. They played Stanford and Cal on national TV, and he was really good in both those games. So one, maybe I'm a little bit higher on his game than I should be just because that wasn't a, a full representation of everything that he brings to the table. But two, the big issue with up transfers like Jones and like Minland is how their production dipping when they play tougher competition. The fact that he's been able to have his best games against the best teams on USF schedule, I think that's a good thing for, for Louisville looking forward. But a lot of people pointed to the fact that he was a shooting guard at San Francisco who used a ton of possessions and didn't shoot the ball particularly well. I think he was about 30% from three last year. The one thing that I'll say about those numbers is, like I mentioned before, UCF is a, or USF is an analytics heavy program. They kind of, they sort of want to do on the college level, what the Warriors do at the NBA level, take like, they're okay with average three point shooters, taking a bunch of semi contested threes early in the shot clock. Like, they, they think if you shoot 30% from three, but take a high volume of, of bad threes, that's better than taking a, a low volume of threes and making, you know, 35, 38% of that. And, and the numbers kind of bear that out. So I think with Midland switching to a system where he's going to have a lot more talent around him, he's not going to be the focal point of opposing defenses. And he's not going to be asked to take those shots like really early. I think you're going to see those shooting numbers go up a little bit. I don't think he's ever going to be a terrific shooter, but I do think if his shot selection improves and guys like Jones and David Johnson and Samuel Williamson are demanding more attention from opposing defenses, it could it could lead to him just being able to take and make better shots, which I think is a good thing. The other thing about bringing him to the table, and I'm really curious to see what position Mac wants him to play, like whether he's going to be the backup two guard or he's a guy who can play the three and the four, sort of a hybrid like Dwayne Sutton. I think that it's maybe going to be the latter just based on Mac's comments and based on some of the comments that Minlin has said. The thing that stuck out to me the most was Minlin said that Chris Mack and Dino Gaudio both told him they want him to come in here and be a defensive presence, the guy on defense who's guarding the opposing team's best player. And to me, that sounds like they kind of want him to be a guy who does a lot of the stuff that Dwayne Sutton did. Maybe that means that he steps in and plays the four if it's not going to be Jalen Weathers or Quinn Slezinski. Um, I, I don't know. But that, to me, I thought was really intriguing. Yeah, and kind of getting back to the defensive end of the ball, we could have a really intriguing – defensive team next year um with dave uh carlick jones um sam and then if if midland does start at the four you're talking about four interchangeable parts that for the most part should be able to switch just about everything and then you throw in malik we've seen him 
do a really good job of guarding the perimeter as well. So um, I think that's something that, uh, you know, once everyone gets on campus, obviously they'll figure that out. And me and you have no idea on, you know, the improvements of Jalen Withers or, you know, how things are going to pan out with Quinn Slazinski or Aiden Agehan. Um, we're, we're hoping that they, you know, obviously make that leap and, get a significant amount of playing time or even have one of them start at the four. But um, just the pieces we have from a defensive standpoint, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how we can use that next year to our advantage. Yeah, this is going to be one of the most difficult seasons, I think, to project maybe since the like the Damian Lee Trey Lewis year where you know we had the guys we had coming back were mostly young and then we knew that two of the focal points were going to be grad transfers and you know how well were they going to be able to adjust to a, a tougher level of basketball and all that good stuff we're sort of in the same boat this year like I think we know like we know David Johnson's really good at the point we know what Malik Williams can do at the center and outside of that I mean Samuel Williamson we expect him to make a big time jump but is that jump from you know seldom used role player to guy who averages nine, 10 points a game. Does he become scoring option one? Is he a first team, all ACC caliber type player? Like we just don't know about any of that. And then Carly Jones and Charles Menlin, I think like, I, I think they're both really good players. What does that mean at the ACC level? Like uh, how, how well do they adapt to this higher level of competition? We don't know about that. And then like you mentioned, we have no fucking clue how like what Aiden Gahan's going to be next year? We we haven't seen Jalen Withers at all. We've barely seen Josh Nickelberry or Quinzinski, and it, it's it's why it kind of when people keep talking about well we need to play this guy more. Nickelberry needs to go here. We have no idea. Like, like I've got zero idea how good these guys are going to be, and it's even like harder to project when we know that they're not going to be playing together at least for the beginning of, of what would have been the summer period. I, I, everything is just so weird right now, but it's going to be, it, I, I'm very curious, assuming that we do get the kids back on campus at some point during the summer, I'm going to be really curious to hear Max thoughts when he does those little brief media sessions or we get those quick reports from those uh, once a week practice sessions, because it's just, there's just so many question marks right now with this team, but I, st- I still feel overall pretty good about the talent level it's just a matter of of guys making leaps and can they come together and play as a cohesive unit the other thing that we have to talk about is there still is one scholarship available uh for louisville to use they got 11 scholarship players right now they're giving one back to the ncaa for next year from the casino Powell stuff and so with jay scrub leaving mac has one more guy to offer everybody assumes that louisville's going to target some sort of front court player we did get a little bit of interesting news today. Again, we're recording this on Friday about the NCAA doing a one-time um, limitation on its academic standards. And we don't need to get into the nuts and bolts of that, but what it's going to lead to in a lot of people's eyes is a number of 2021 prospects reclassifying to the 2020 class. Uh, whether or not that means Louisville could find somebody in that class who's a power forward or a center who we'd have to wait a year on, but now can come in right away and maybe slide right in as Malik Williams backup or slide right in as a guy who could compete at the four. I don't know. I, I, I would still think that they're keeping their ears out for grad transfers, but Man, you never know. I mean, the Minland thing kind of came out of nowhere last year. Fresh Kimball kind of came out of nowhere. Wouldn't be shocked at all if a week from now or two weeks from now, we're hearing about a new addition that we haven't even been discussing. But uh, is it a safe assumption in your eyes that whoever we add for next year, whether it's a sit-out transfer or a grad transfer or an incoming freshman, it's probably going to be a front court guy? That's the route I would take. Um, uh, again, I, I don't know what the coaches are thinking, but – I would think we would need a little more beef up front. Again, we're, we're hoping that Aiden Agehan is is making some sort of leap, and we don't really know too much uh, about Jalen Weathers' uh, progression. We do know. I mean, we saw Quinn a little bit last year. I wouldn't say that, you know, he, he's got a nice game, um, but I wouldn't say he'd be like the most powerful power forward. And obviously, we still got Malik there in the center position. So I think we do need to beef up a little bit down low. Um, but again, maybe the coaches are, you know, thinking outside the box. Maybe they think we need a shooter. Um, but, you know, I, we do have to give credit to, to Chris Mack and Dino Gaudio because when that J scrub news did hit, um, they were very quick to react. Um, I, 
just for them to be able to land a player like Charles Midland in a, in a matter of days when he didn't even have them in their top seven, I think that's a, a huge credit to our coaching staff that uh, they were kind of able to just make sure that they patch up that hole right away. Yeah, no, I, the story about how that came to be was kind of, I mean, just how quickly it was. Midland said, basically, he cut schools. He cut his list down to seven. Louisville wasn't on it because Louisville hadn't even reached out at that point. But he only cut it because he wanted schools that were really interested in him uh, to keep contacting him. He was getting a little bit sick of just the you know, 40 schools reaching out and saying, we'd love to have you, but not being really firm in their commitment to him. So he thought that would weed out the pretenders, and it, it did. And then when D- Dino Gaudio I, – I think the most interesting thing about Midland's recruitment is like he's on – a war path to prove to these schools in North Carolina that play in the ACC that they fucked up by not taking him like that. That was the one real obvious thing that came out of all the interviews that he did last week was, you know, he said I was putting up massive numbers on a team that played in the state title game. My sophomore, junior and senior year won the state championship as a senior. And I was getting offered by Charlotte and UNC Greensboro and UNC Asheville, but NC State wasn't talking to me. Wake Forest wasn't talking to me, and UNC and Duke weren't talking to me. And it seems like he's going to be like those games are going to be really personal for him this year. And that was as much as he like loved Louisville, and he said, you know, when Louisville calls, obviously I'm going to pick up. Obviously I'm going to talk to them. But I think the allure of playing in the ACC was the most like that was the the hook for him. Like he wants to come in here and just kill those teams. And I like it. Like I'm excited for him to get those opportunities. I think that's going to be a a fun thing to follow next year. Um, Are you ready to answer some questions from Twitter? Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's knock some out. All right. We'll get to as many of these as we can. Um, Dre says, how long do we have to go without sports for you to start watching professional wrestling? Because it's the only athletic thing that we have left. Um, Dan, your brother Colin is the most diehard wrestling fan that I know. Has that rubbed off on you at all? I mean, you and I are kind of the same, but we watched wrestling growing up. Um, not so much now. Do you have any inclination to get back into WWE because there's so little television options right now? Unless they brought back the Attitude Era and they could make Stone Cold and The Rock 15 years younger to where they're still able to wrestle, I just don't see myself being able to jump back into it. It's just me and you were... 14 15 for the peak of wrestling i mean and i mean i think me and you even i I didn't even know you back like in the hogan you know jake the snake ultimate warrior days but Uh uh, i I think we have a pretty good uh knowledge of the history of you know the wrestlemanias maybe up to like 13 14 and then and then after that um we kind of go blank but Thank God we got my brother to remind us of pretty much everything going on at all times. Yeah, we I think we both followed the classic 90s kid progression, which is we were super into it when we were like real little, like six, seven years old, the early 90s. Like I rented all the WrestleMania VHSs from Red Giraffe and Roadrunner and watched all of those growing up and then kind of got out of it until like the Stone Cold um, you know, the rock mankind era, like when we were like 13, 14, 15, and then got back out of it again and have not gotten back in it. But God love the diehards. God love the people who are still hanging around and talking about like Johnny macho needs to win the title. I'm like, I don't, I don't know any of the people anymore besides the undertaker, but um, I'm probably not going to get back into it anytime soon. I did watch like one of the like condensed version Royal rumbles, the one where Axe and smash drew one and two to go up against the, from demolition. Oh yeah. I that watched was one of the first ones. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I watched that on YouTube like a few weeks ago when I was real, real bored. Did, but that's, is that the one Ric Flair one? Was that? I don't think it was. It may have been. I don't even remember. I, I think I like turned it off halfway through. Um, but, but no, Ric Flair won the one when he was like he drew number one, right? Oh yeah, that, I think you're right. Yeah. 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 Anyways, um, let's see. Cardomatic has. Uh, he wants us to talk about the effect of the new G, G League path and the future of one and dones on college basketball. This has been kind of the big, I guess, radio topic the last forty eight hours or so. Um, Jalen Green announced that he was going to go ahead and play in this new G League Select program they have, which is going to pay him 500K. A couple of other targets, um, the G League targeted a couple of other guys that were high-profile recruits. Isaiah Todd's not going to go to Michigan. He's going to follow this route. Some have said that they are going to play uh, college basketball. They're going to just ignore this. But there have been all sorts of you know, takes from skies falling. This is going to ruin college basketball too. It's going to have zero effect on college basketball. Um, I'll tell you where I stand on. I, I think I kind of side with what Chris Mack tweeted last night, where I think college basketball is going to be okay. 
it's not great to miss out on on talent like Zion Williamson or this year like Jalen Green, but you're still always going to have guys that are under-recruited and have monster freshmen or sophomore seasons like Obi Toppin this year, like John Morant two years ago. I mean, even Trey Young, I know he was a, a five-star in, in some recruiting services. He's probably not a guy who would have gone straight to the G League or gone straight to the NBA draft if there had been no one-and-done rule. He probably still would have played that one season of college basketball. You're still going to find those, I hate to use the cliche, but you're still going to find those diamonds in the rough who just excel at a college level in a way that wasn't predicted by anybody who watched them play in high school. And I think also the bigger thing is most college basketball fans, they cheer for laundry. Like if Louisville in Kentucky played next year and they suddenly instituted a rule that said nobody taller than six feet can play division one basketball, like we'd still like, we'd, we'd, we'd go all in. Like we'd still want to kill those guys just like we do every single year. Like that's what college basketball is, is about more than just, I want to watch, the next level of NBA talent, the next uh, era of NBA talent do their thing. There is some of that with the outside fan, but that outside fan's always going to be an outside fan. Like they're going to watch the NCAA tournament. They'll watch Duke Carolina. They'll watch college basketball when, when football ends and there's nothing else going on, but you're not going to pull those people in and have them watching, you know, pac 12 games late night and early January. It's just not going to happen. So like, I don't think, I think there's going to be an impact. I'd love to have the best talent. Um, basketball-wise, play in college every single year. I think that's just never going to happen. But I, I, I don't think this is going to be quite as doomsday scenario for college hoops as some people were trying to claim yesterday. Yeah, and you kind of took my answer a little bit. I mean, it's especially people in the state of Kentucky, nothing's going to change for us. We're still going to be just as diehard college basketball fans, you know, whether the, the top – talent is jumping to the G League or whether they're not because we cheer for the name on the front of the jersey. Um, and like you said, there is a little bit of an impact just because maybe that casual fan um, that tunes in to watch Zion or a, a Kevin Durant or a, a Michael Beasley, they're not going to be playing that one year in college. So we might lose those eyeballs. But like you said, they're usually only turning in, tuning in just for the NCAA tournament. So it's not going to be a huge loss. Um, and the proof is already in the pudding. I mean, we've, we've gone through this when they got rid of after LeBron came and they got rid of the high school to the NBA jump, you know, college basketball was, was great. And we had like the, the dynasty Florida teams, um, you know, we've, we've, we've had absolutely phenomenal seasons even after this. So I think it's going to be just fine. I think people are overreacting shocker. Dan Wolken from USA today, overreacting biggest overreactor of all time. Yeah. But um, anyways, that's my take on it. I mean, look at the like, look at the guy, the, the biggest names in college basketball this past year, they, like Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, Obi Toppin, Luca Garza, Cassius Winston. None of those guys would have gone pro like, like those guys. None of those guys are affected by this or would have been affected by this had it been around five, six years ago. Like it's just like those types. And, and maybe some people are listening to this and saying, well, yeah, college basketball sucked this year. It's, college basketball was fine this year. The NCAA tournament was going to be great. The talent level was down. It didn't hinder my enjoyment of it. Maybe the people out there who just want to watch again, future billionaires dunking on everybody who just wanted to watch Zion two years ago. Maybe it, it hurt their enjoyment of it. But I think for the most part, you're still going to have good enough talent to make the games enjoyable and like I think the other thing that people people get caught in this world where there's this recipe or this this path out there for college basketball to become as popular as it was in the mid 90s or for it to become more popular than professional sports and that's just not the case like it's just there's no even if you have name image likeness and it keeps kids around longer in the college game even if you make the games more exciting like it's never going to be as popular as college football it's never going to be as popular as the nfl it's never going to be as popular as the nba and you just kind of have to accept that if you love college basketball you're going to love college basketball. And if you're just a, a casual fan, you're probably never going to be invested in those first three months as much as the diehards. And that's just, that's the layout of the sport right now. You can't compete with football. Uh, nobody can. It's just, uh, it's been proven time and time again. Um, regular guy says thoughts on Louisville playing Cade Cunningham the first week of the year. Um, I did see, I think we talked about it in passing on a prior podcast that Louisville's going to play in that armed forces classic game against Oklahoma state and Cade Cunningham, the number one, number two, depending on whose rankings you're looking at 
player from the class of 2020. Um, his brother is on staff at Oklahoma State. They weren't very good this past year, but Cunningham is a ridiculous talent. Most people think he's going to be the top pick in the 2021 NBA draft. Yeah, that's a that, that's a tall order for the first week of the season, assuming the first week of the season goes off as planned. But still, I think that's fun. I, I think that's a fun first week challenge. Yeah, I mean, obviously that gives our players something to look forward to at the beginning of the year. I'm sure they're always going to want to go against the best. So I'm excited to see the kid play. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't ever remember us. I can't remember a time we've ever even played Oklahoma State. So um, that'll be interesting as well to play play the Cowboys for the first time. The other scheduling news, real quick before we get to more questions, uh, John Rostein did tweet out. I think it was uh, I think it was yesterday, Thursday, the matchups for the Las Vegas uh, MGM invitation that we're playing in on the week before Thanksgiving. We're going to play Colorado State in the first game. San Francisco is going to play Arkansas. Could be interesting if if USF wins that game or somehow we both lose to see Charles Midland play against his old team. But I think the the showcase matchup is going to be us versus Arkansas if we both win. Mac versus uh, Eric Musselman. That could be a whole lot of fun. Colorado State actually brings back a decent amount of talent from a pretty good team last year. So that'll be another kind of interesting challenge. I, I can't think of Colorado State without when we busted them in the second round and they had the kid in the Colorado State Rams mascot yeah. outfit. I, I, that's all I think of every time I see Colorado State now. Um, hope that kid's doing well. Yeah, props to my guy Sean Moth, who I'm sure is listening to this as well. Uh, he's a, a Colorado State alum, and when I tweeted out that they were going to be playing one another, um, and, and my thoughts and prayers were with Sean, he just responded with the gif of um, the, the Colorado State mascot kid looking like he sang fuck over and over and over. <laughs> like it was it was a perfect response. But shout out to Sean. Check out his podcast as well. They just launched a new uh, podcast where he's going to be interviewing a bunch of big-time UofL figures. He had Vince Tyree on in the first episode. It's really good. It just felt good to hear Sean's voice again. It makes me feel makes me feel good. Um, let's see here. Eric Archer says, how are you getting down on this Friday? The only way I know how, man. The old school way. Uh, <laughs> Gil Boldberg says, in the past 20 years, who is the most disappointing big-time basketball team recruit for Louisville, and why is it VJ King? Um, is VJ the most disappointing big-time recruit that we've had in the last 20 years? Oh, man. I mean, he did. Have, I mean, and again, we should preface it. I mean, these kids didn't label themselves five stars. So it's not this is just hype that was given sure. to them. Um, so, I, you know, I don't want to call VJ disappointing. Did I expect that he'd have a more productive UofL career? Yes. If I could say disappointing and this is I, I'm saying this, even though we made a final four and won a national title um, with him. But. Shane Bahannon had so much talent. That guy could have done what I mean. He 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 could have been all world by the time he left here had he stayed his all four years. Um, so that's one for me. I mean, I know he had obviously a huge impact on both those teams, but I just got. I think if he had stayed here those last two years and really had his head on straight, I, I just can't can't even imagine what he would have done. Yeah, Shane, disappointing for different reasons. I think yeah. VJ King, um, but you definitely could make a case. I'm, to me, it comes down to two guys. I think it's VJ King or Carlos Hurt. Um, just because, like, Carlos Hurt was, he was billed as, like, the savior of the Denny Crum era. I don't know if you remember, but, like, this was back in, you know, early 2000s when, so I guess it still falls in that 20-year window because he played, what, 01, 02? It was Patino's first year. Yeah. Um, like, we didn't, like, recruiting wasn't followed nearly as heavily or as closely as it is now. So when there was a recruiting story in the Courier Journal, you knew it was a huge deal. And I remember waking up and seeing just like this huge spread on Carlos Hurt, top five prospect in his class. He's going to come here. He's going to save Louisville basketball. He's moving here for his his senior season. He's going to play at more high school, all this stuff. And then he came here and I know he got kicked off the team, but he also just wasn't that good. Like, like, like he was he was fine. And maybe he would have gotten a whole lot better as time went on. But he wasn't nearly as good as I thought he was going to be. And when you – I can't remember what player it was. It was somebody who played in the NBA for a long time. Somebody asked him a question on one of these like IG Live or, or social media Q&A sessions. Like who was the the best player in your class that people forget about? And he said Carlos Hurt was just like an absolute killer. And, I mean, he still kind of has this legendary status about him. And we reaped – none of the benefits of that like he did nothing here and then got kicked off the team and then tried to sell me weed at Seneca uh, Park like 50 times <laughs> when we were playing basketball but that was I mean like VJ 
I, I was surprised that BJ didn't do more just because he had the look of a, a big time basketball player. He just he had the size. He you could tell he had the skill set, and it just never ever came together in any sort of real way. Yeah. No, I I, was I, I agree with that. Um, another one that just came to my mind, I, I, I expected big things from Anton Gill. Um, I thought he was going to do at, at, at least make somewhat of an impact, and he, he kind of just fizzled out as well. But um, get back to Carlos Hurt. I was actually lucky enough to uh, – it was my sophomore year. I was on the JV team at Trinity, and the football team was still – playing so a lot of the trinity basketball players play on the football team so i got to dress up when we played more and carlos hurt uh for varsity and i will say he was pretty damn good he what he pulled from beyond nba range and was i think probably dropped like 30 33 points on us but so i had totally bought into the hype and was really shocked that he didn't do anything um, I, but, I just yeah. remember reading i think they lost to I think they lost to J-Town in the region semifinals. And I just remember reading the next day in the paper that he uh, had gotten thrown out of the game. And as he was walking off the court, flicked off the crowd and threw a bunch of papers that were on the scorer's table. And I remember thinking, like, I, I mean, I'm like a 15-year-old kid at this point, but I'm still like, this doesn't seem like a, <laughs> like a good thing. Like, that seems like a little bit of a red flag for the future. And sure enough, uh, yeah, he did not, did not last with Rick Pitino at the helm. Um, let's see here. Cam Kelly says, this might be a different question, but could you talk a little bit about your time in law school and when and why you decided it wasn't the route you wanted to take? I know this isn't a sports question, but just very curious. I think that's one is for you, Dan. Um, <laughs> that, that's a good one. Oh um, my God. It, in all seriousness, like I, I didn't mind law school. I, I worked, I actually had a pretty good job and I feel guilty even talking about it. I had a really good job as a runner slash clerk, um, with a pretty prestigious law firm here in town. So I knew I was going to be in good shape if I just made it through law school. But I think about midway through my 1L year, like I looked at my life 10 years down the line and just kind of thought I would be miserable. Like I, I think I would have been okay as a lawyer for a, a couple of years. It's just I'm not built for for doing that stuff long term for my entire life. And I just – I knew I wasn't going to be happy. And I stuck it out for that year. But – when I had an opportunity to make a living writing about sports, even though it was a very, very modest living, I, I jumped at the opportunity. And even with everything going on right now, even with the uncertainty about the industry and even losing some jobs here, I, I still I don't regret the decision. But look, I, a lot of guys that I went to law school with are, are really happy. Uh, I know a lot of happy lawyers. Uh, I've got two older brothers who are both attorneys. They're they're both pretty happy and both seem to be okay with it. So it's not impossible to to be a happy lawyer and to be a happy law student. It just wasn't wasn't for me. Um, Nick Coffey, my guy at the Card Connect says, who is your favorite QB and your least favorite QB from QB1 on Netflix? Did you ever watch QB1, Dan? I didn't. I, I never been to that show. You got to watch it. I, I think that would be a, a real easy way to kill some time during this quarantine period. It's uh, it, it hooks you pretty quick. I'll say I loved um, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name, the Lance uh, Lejean kid from New Orleans in the last season. I think he was the most likable kid. Jake Fromm also in season one was really likable. He kind of – he came off as basically Jason Street from Friday Night Lights if Jason Street hadn't gotten paralyzed. And that's not a spoiler. It's the very first episode. Just watch the, watch the show. It's been out for like 50 years. Like it's it's great. Friday Night Lights. Um, but he's, you know, rich kid, um, very straight-laced. The parents are like the mom is super southern blonde mom, like all this good stuff. Like, but you, you come off really liking him. The least likable, I mean, you could tell from day one Tate Martell was gonna have some problems in college. Like the kid's just like actively drinking on camera for a special that's gonna be broadcast nationally and doesn't give a fuck. Like just does not care at all. He and um Spencer Radler, um, from the most recent season, both had serious, serious red flags, but it's a great show. And I think they're going to do like, they're doing kind of like a basketball version of last chance you uh, on Netflix too, which I think is going to be a whole lot of fun, but yeah, watch QB one. If you haven't, if you love sports docs, check that out. I also watched Central until I die. And I don't even, like, I know very little about English soccer. It was, it was fantastic. Like I could not stop watching it. It was really, really good. Um, let's see here. Carol, my guy uh, at King Carol CC says, are the cards back? Of course the cards are back. No, no question about it. Um, Wes Jackson, 
what playing style of center would be the best use for the last scholarship, an athletic guy, a bruiser, et cetera? What would you prefer for this last scholarship style of play? Yeah, I would say a bruiser. Just we need a little beef down low. Um, poor Malik's going to be trying to grab every single rebound for us. Like I said, I, for some reason, and I, I guess it's just from like the snippets that I read on Twitter or the internet or like here on local radio that people are like saying Jalen Withers is is going to be really good or be a monster. I have this like picture in my head of this, this like freaky you know, really strong stretch four that grabs every rebound. But I would still, just to be sure, in case he's not that, would would like to get a little beefier down low. It, totally agree. Um, I'm right there with you. I think that we need, like, you need kind of like a, like a taller Dwayne Sutton would be ideal, just from a rebounding standpoint. It doesn't even need to score like Dwayne. doesn't need to do any of that other stuff. Like, just uh, be that beefy four or be that uh, undersized five who can just be a bit of a bruiser. That's who I would go after. But at this point, I think you got to go after the best player available. Um, Jamar Montez, my guy at JMW point seeker football question here. If the season happens, what win loss record would constitute a good season? What would you, what do you set it with? I mean, given the new bar that we have after massively overachieving last year, a little bit of a tougher schedule. I think this season, what win loss total would make you happy in 2020? I mean, there's two games right away, Clemson and at Notre Dame, where a win would be very surprising. Um, so, I mean, those two I, I would almost put down as losses right away. I would say a good season. I would be happy. I, I would be really happy with with nine wins. If we had eight wins, I would still. I, I would be satisfied. I'll say that. At, satisfied with eight. I would be really happy with nine. I'd be disappointed with seven. I, I'm, I was going to say eight and four, too. I think that constitutes a good season. I think if you go eight and four with this group, uh, I feel good about it. Seven to five, I, I'm not like, you know, calling for Scott Satterfield's head, but I'm with you. It's kind of just like, eh, like he kind of just, we, we met the bare minimum. I just, I mean, when you see, I know that we lost, you know, we're losing Mekhi Becton, we're losing some key guys on the defensive side of the ball, but when you see like Mikhail Cunningham and, Tutu Atwell, and um, I mean, just like all these specialty players who put up such big numbers last year coming back, it's hard not to have, you know, at least somewhat heightened expectations, uh, certainly from not, not just where we yeah. were before last season, but where we were at the end of last season. Uh, it, I'm excited about it. It is wild to where where we have come from when we found out that Jeff Brom wasn't being hired and the fact that we were getting Scott Satterfield and it was almost, you know, to say people weren't overly enthusiastic would be an understatement. I mean, we thought we made, you know, the, the backup hire that we needed to, but we were all obviously disappointed in Jeff Brom and to see how far we've come in just, you know, about a year and a half of when he's been hired has been absolutely unbelievable and how high he's already raised the expectations. It's just, if you were to told me when he got hired that, I'm sitting here saying we would be disappointed possibly with a seven and five record in a second year. I would have been like, well, <laughs> seven and five in the second year, I would have been doing cartwheels. So I mean, yeah. that, that's absolutely props to Satterfield and the staff. I was thinking we weren't going to even be like talking realistically about bowl oh, games until like yeah, year I, three. It's here unbelievable. Last year, like, I mean, I, I know it's – you know, we're not in football season, but my God, that's just one of the most unbelievable turnarounds you could possibly have. I mean, to go from a team that looked, you know, to have the discipline of a eighth grade football team and the skill of a high school team, you know, in one year to, to turn that around and win, you know, win a bowl game and have some of the most productive players in the nation on offense and a top five draft pick. I mean, my God, that, that's just about as good as you could do. Could not agree more. Um, Jonathan Lustig says, in your opinion, what is the best quarantine activity? Um, okay. Let's throw out like, <laughs> let's throw out like alcohol, <laughs> drugs, sex, and masturbation. Let's, let's, let's throw those out. <laughs> What's the best creative here? What's the best activity? I kind of feel, and this is coming from somebody who, like, I haven't played video games in 12 years. I've never felt more FOMO when it comes to video games than I have the last few weeks. I feel like it would be a good time to get back into it. I just, I don't have the time, and I know if I started now, I'd be back hooked. I, I would go with video games. What do you say? 
My answer is going to get ridiculed so hard. It's going to be ridiculed by you. It's going to be ridiculed by anyone listening. It's like, I, I spend hours on TikTok just watching TikToks. I'm addicted to it. I can't help I it. That. I, I'm 34 and I shouldn't be on TikTok. And it is just, it's so addicting once you get on there, just because some of the videos are hilarious and some of them are very unique. But I'll admit, I'm a talker for sure. I haven't told you this yet, but we were uh, we were going on our, our family walk at like five o'clock, which we now look forward to every day. Again, like we're like we're dogs, like it's the highlight of our day, taking a forty-five to hour walk. Um, Mary said she's gonna get on TikTok. She was like, I, she's like, I've got to get on TikTok. I keep seeing these videos. She wants to like do the dance videos. <laughs> yes, yes. This is all I wanted. I, I wanted my friends' wives to be be the ones trying to do the dances. Um, yeah, it's happening. That's great. Yeah. Well, Mary will not be disappointed. All right. Uh, D.A. Helderman says, if you could sign one person from Tiger King to the 2021 Louisville men's basketball team, who is it and why? Ooh. God. I'll let you take the floor. The obvious answer is good old Joe Exotic, just because he kind of brings a little swag that that we need to our team. Um, You know... Jeff Jeff Lowe is just absolutely ruthless. Um, so I mean, he's he's just an absolute killer. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd sign Joe Exotic. He would just he, he'd bring he'd bring a little flavor to our team, a little something different. Um, and the guy has you know unlimited or unlimited confidence in himself. Give me the worker who got their arm bit off by the tiger. I mean, <laughs> right back at work. The, what three days later. No, like no qualms. Like calls it like it is. Give me that person. We're good. Like, that that's who I'm going with. Yeah. Or I would take on our staff the guy that ran uh, Joe Exotic's campaign. He seemed like he, he <laughs> you know, he seemed like he knew what was going on a little bit. I feel like he'd kind of be able to, uh, you know, give some good insight of what's going on. That's a good pick. Uh, I like this question here. Chase Bland says, "Who do you think leads the team in scoring next year?" It feels like a year where a lot of players average close to double figures. I think this is a good question. I mean, there's no like, – like we talked about, there are so many question marks with this year's team. But let's go ahead and just take a stab at it. Who do you think leads the Louisville men's basketball team in scoring next year? Oh, man, that is such a hard one. I mean, because I feel like the answer that a lot of people want to say is Samuel Williamson because uh-huh. they're expecting him to make that jump from year one to year two. Gosh, I mean, I just would be very disappointed if the ball is not in David Johnson's hands a majority of the time next year. And I could see him leading our team in scoring. I really could. Um, I know he didn't shoot it very well this year. I still think he has a capable shot. I think the staff thinks so, too. Um, But he just seems like he can can get to the rim at will. I'm sure he might be the, the... scouting report is going to be out on him maybe more his sophomore year um, as trying to keep him out of the lane. But yeah, I know it's an outside the box pick, but I'm going to say David Johnson. That was actually my first instinct. I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of do what you said at the beginning. I'm going to hope. I think best case scenario is that it's Samuel Williamson. Like I think that's, if he emerges as a guy who thrives playing the role that Jordan Wara played last year as scoring option one, and solidifies himself as a, a legit you know, NBA draft prospect. I think that's the best case for next year's Louisville team. I could definitely see, him be, see it being David Johnson if Samuel like, doesn't really, if it takes him a little bit to hit his stride as the main guy on offense. But I, I'm going to say that he gets it done. I'm going to say he takes a giant step forward. I'm going to go Samuel Williamson. And that's maybe more hoping than projecting, but I'm sticking with that. Um, let's see. We had a couple of, of Rick Pitino Iona questions. Um, one saying, how long is it going to take? the tournament selection committee to match us up against Iona and another saying, would Rick beat us with Iona next year if we were able to play him? Um, answer the first question. It's, it's going to happen at some point. Like Iona, they dominate the, the Mac uh, every single year, just about, I think they'll be in the tournament at least a couple of times before Patino gets done there. I guarantee if we're like a two seed and there are 15, that's going to happen. Would Rick beat us if we were to play next year? No. Like no chance. Like they lose a bunch of guys. He brought in a, like six prospects already that are uh, off the radar guys. A couple of JUCOs. 
Um, and based on pure motivation, look, Patino wanted to beat nobody on his schedule more than Kentucky every single year, and that didn't exactly go well for him uh, while he was at Louisville. So, no, I'll answer those questions for you. You don't even need to chime in there, Dan. I don't think you have anything to add, do you? No, I mean, yeah, that, I think we'll get matched up at some point in the tournament just because the NCAA likes to fuck with us. But, yeah, I couldn't even answer number two. You probably have more knowledge of that than I do. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Phil Rich made it rain. What's the unfulfilled all-potential team for Louisville basketball? He says Jason Osborne, Brandon Bender, Jerome Harmon. Who are the other two? I think that's I – mean, we kind of, I feel like, talked about this a little bit earlier with the disappointment question. But I would say – I'll go Carlos Hurd again, and then unfulfilled potential. I think for the reasons that you said earlier, I'll say Shane Behannon, just because it should have turned out so much better for him. And he – I mean, he got – you could talk to anybody who was – on staff or around the program at that time, he got 10 times more chances at Louisville than he would have gotten in Patino's first five, six years on the job. Like he, the people were looking out for him. They were trying to give him the benefit of the doubt and he just continued to squander them. So because of that, uh, I'll say, I'll say Shane and Carlos hurt. Who do you go? Yeah, with? You could, uh, you could throw in Derek character to the mix. Yeah. There. That's, that's um, maybe a better pick. Yeah. I mean, you just saw flashes from him though, where you're like, holy shit, this guy can absolutely dominate if he ever really puts his mind to it. And he just never did. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of guys who maybe had like an injury plague career. I remember Eric Johnson um, was a huge leaper coming out and he had a pretty good freshman year and then he tore up his knee um, and he was never the same really after that. Um yeah, I don't know. That's a. Uh, I think he he kind of nailed. I mean, obviously Jason Osborne w- would be one um, that I'd put in there, but I, I think he had a pretty good list. Um, I do wonder. Like, I, I, sometimes I wonder, and I know you and I have talked about this before. When you go back and watch the the O five NCAA tournament games, how good Juan Palacios could have been if he'd been healthy for that's true. Yeah, the that's next another three years. I mean, you forget he was a starter on that team and a productive starter. He he looked like a different guy when you watch those games. And then when you watch him at the end of his UofL career, he just he had no knees left. Rock Buckles, maybe another one there, but I'll stick with uh, the, the three guys we talked about there. Let's see. Uh, Courage, the not-so-cowardly gambler, gambler, says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous are you regarding a ban for the cards in the 2021 NCAA tournament? Um... Like, nobody knows what's going to happen. I think that you have to preface any comments with that, but I'll say like a nine uh, just because I think the coronavirus stuff is kind of thrown. Like, nobody knows how the NCAA is going to deal with all that stuff. So that's not me predicting anything or, or knowing anything, just nervous related. Yeah. I, I, I kind of went into this past season putting more emphasis on it than I ordinarily would have because I was guessing we were probably going to get a ban for 2021. But right now, I don't know. I mean, I, I've got no idea what they're going to do with the other programs. I've got no idea what they're going to do with us. I've got no idea if we can even get through this whole process uh, in time to affect the 2021 NCAA tournament at this point. But nervous-wise, yeah, definitely, it's definitely a concern. Where, where are you on that scale, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it's always in the back of my head. Um, I, I would put it right around an eight, a nine as well. Um, and that just with the unpredictability of the NCAA. Um, I, sorry, I'm backtracking here. I know this was like six questions ago. I just had one pop in my head when we were talking about most underwhelming players. Um, here's one that we always forget about. How about Muhammad Lasage? Do you remember yeah. the hype that he had and like just to get him eligible? I was like, oh, God, thank God we got this guy eligible. Rick just absolutely raved about him. And then he did absolutely nothing. I mean, I hear he's just a really smart, smart kid. Great guy. But. It did absolutely nothing for us. Sorry, I just had to get that out. No, that's a good one. I mean, they did hype him up to be like the next Shaq, and then he played, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, four like points a game. Okay, here we He's go. like 15% of the player Gorky Zhang was as a freshman. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, last one here. Billy Hotpants, my guy, says, do you think Ryan Atwood and Taylor Tans- Townsend actually ended, up, ended together? up together? No way. Zero chance. Why can't I think it? I mean, obviously I know Ryan Atwood. Why can't I think of Taylor Townsend? Um, she was uh, she was like kind of the, the stuck up girl who ended up becoming like a main character after Marissa Cooper died. Spoiler, sorry again. Show was on like twenty years ago. They like they forced Ryan and her into a relationship. She was very attractive. She was. Very oh hot. yeah. I'm, oh god. I'm looking at yeah. I'm Google Imager right now. Yeah. Um. What was your answer? Oh no. There was no way they ended up together. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think they did either. Um, yeah, Ryan, I don't know who Ryan ended up with. He was an absolute wild card. He was a star. Um, yeah. All right, that's it for questions. If you had one that didn't get answered, apologies. We've already gone over an hour here. Um, here's what I, I want to do. At the end of the last pod, I said I wanted to do like a rewatchables-esque series where we go back and we watch an old game, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, what have you. Everybody watches it. Then we do a podcast where we discuss it and kind of point out the funny parts of it and, and talk about what we remembered and what we misremembered. Ask for your suggestions. Got a bunch of good ones. Here's what we've settled on for the first one, and we're going to do this next week. The 2003 Louisville at Marquette basketball game where Reese Gaines hits the last second shot. I'm excited about this because I haven't watched this. This full game is available on YouTube, by the way. If you just go to YouTube and type in Louisville Marquette 03, it'll come up. Don't watch the one from Freedom Hall where we lose and Travis Diener screams and Ellis Miles tears his ACL. Watch the other one. Uh, it's a fantastic game. Marquette ends up going to the Final Four. We're in the midst of this big run. We just lost for the first time in like three months to St. Louis. But the game's awesome. And, Dan, I know you and I watched this together, so we have some funny stories from that. Uh, it ended up being kind of a, a funny game watch party. But I feel like that's a good choice to start off with, correct? Yeah. You don't blame me. You don't have to twist my arm to go back and watch any L game. So, I'm all in. I'll have the popcorn ready. Yeah, I'm excited about that. So watch that over the weekend if you have an hour and a half to kill or an hour to kill. I don't know how long the YouTube tape is. And then next week when we do the podcast, we're going to come on and we're going to talk about that. Um, also, I asked you guys to leave us reviews. I always ask you guys to leave reviews. Give us a five-star rating if you can and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. But I said if we get three new reviews by the time we have the next podcast, I'll end this pod with the clip of me coughing hysterically from a couple of podcasts ago that I had to cut out. And you did that. We, we got three new reviews. So that's how we're going to end this pod. Um, so enjoy that. Uh, here's me coughing hysterically from a couple Dr. of podcasts. Says, which coach would you least like to be quarantined? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I died. I died right in the middle of the podcast. <clears throat> I told you, I think 45 times a day that I've got Corona. <clears throat> I'm okay. I got it back. Which coach would you least like to be quarantined with and why? Fran McCaffrey, Josh Pastner, or Tom Crane? McCaffrey. He's the meanest. Like, Pastner and Crane are both weird guys that I think would be... They would suck to be quarantined with for very different reasons. Fran McCaffrey would just yell at you the entire time. He would... McCaffrey would make you cry three days into quarantine. No doubt about it. <coughs> Huh. <laughs>